0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Doc from the John Freaking Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts ways to support the pod how to get in touch and our entire back catalog is there including episode summaries miss these sections of the jmt episodes you can find them there missed a triple crowner episode yep that's there too world travelers adventure athletes polar explorers barclay marathon competitors authors filmmakers documentarians and more are waiting for you take a look at the new website and just a reminder adventure lives here He's like a man with a fork in a world of soup. Noel Gallagher. Farming broccoli in Tasmania and hiking in Antarctica. You wouldn't think that the two are related in any way, but our guest today is going to share how those two experiences are forever linked for him. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. To the john freaking your pod lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails short and long with your host and renaissance man doc it's time to embrace the suck well i couldn't stay away from the pod during the hiatus between seasons so i'm sharing a bonus episode this week with a very special guest his adventure blog, don'tstopliving.net, is listed in Travel Soros' top 25 best travel adventure blogs to follow in 2020. And I quote, this list is based on high-quality, well-written articles, informative posts, awesome pictures, nice entertainment, and above all, a lot of amazing adventures around the world. As I said, that's a quote directly from the article, and having, after having explored the Don't Stop Living blog. I have to say that it fits that description very well. I'm very happy to introduce our guest today, adventure blogger and world traveler Johnny Blair. Welcome to the
2: pod, johnny hi doc. um It's great to be here yeah, an honor to be on board you know in 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 and on the podcast and uh yeah, I look forward to it
1: fantastic, fantastic. Now, we originally had this interview set up for a couple of weeks ago, but we 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 didn't connect something came up uh at first. I got the did date- the date of the interview messed up and we had to reschedule and then as that date was approaching I hadn't heard from you for a while and I was getting pretty nervous about whether or not that second interview was going to take place I thought maybe you thought uh, well he messed it up the first time Uh, he can't be serious about this so I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna do it but uh, finally just a couple of hours before the interview I got got an email from you and saying that you had been in an accident which uh, as it turns out, seems to be a bit of an understatement. So, w- what happened there, Johnny?
2: Yeah, it's interesting actually, but because um, I didn't really think too deeply about that. But you're right, because we did schedule the the interview for an original date, and then for some reason we'd messed things up. I guess what, what, you know the situation around the world at the minute with with the coronavirus, etc. It doesn't exactly make us. Uh, so disciplined with time now so yeah we messed up the first date the second date of course I was ready to do the interview but um yeah unfortunately four days before that I had an accident and I I was rushed to hospital so I was offline I guess for three just over well probably three and a half days and then the the fourth day of that was of course the day we were supposed to to do the interview um so, of course, uh, at least I was able to get online to message you to tell you if that hadn't have happened, um, you know, we, I wouldn't even have been able to inform you about the accident. Um, so, yeah, um, these things happen in life. And I, I guess that kind of fits with my whole, um, you know, life story where things don't run smoothly. You know, the accident was, um, it, it just happened. It was a bit of a freak accident, to be honest.
1: Do you want to go into the details or just, uh, yeah, that be I, a I think,
2: yeah, I think I can talk a bit about it just, you know, quickly. I mean, I was out in the city, so I'm in, I'm in Poland here, which I'm in the capital city, which I call it Warszawa Cause I love the, the sound of Warszawa. Most people call it Warsaw.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, and I actually, um, got knocked unconscious by a train, um, which of course is a shock to anyone, but mm-hmm. you know, be, being quite an adventurous, you know, everyday, type, you know, type of traveler, that doesn't normally affect you. You kind of you might take a hit uh, and fall over and and you'd be okay. But I was knocked unconscious. I don't remember anything for the next sixteen hours of my life, um, and then I woke up in hospital, um with X-rays, stitches. I was black and blue, um, my whole body. You know, from right through to my arms and and legs they were all bruised and uh, I couldn't move for a while I I, I was fearing something really bad had happened there I I thought maybe you know I've got broken bones and I won't be able to to live the adventure that I lived before but at the moment having recovered mostly from that I, I feel okay and I'm of course i'm glad to be on the podcast this is the first podcast or any interview that i've done after that so um so it's a good time to be um on the podcast with that you know kind of recent incident accident you know as my my latest drama if you like
1: yeah that's another another list you can add yourself to uh, a rare list people have been hit by a train and survived i mean that's that is crazy
2: yeah I, I guess i must have done it so slowly that it was kind of in slow motion it's kind of you know imagining you just uh you just get knocked out quickly i mean i've i have i have walked in the lampposts before you know i've had my nose banging into a lamppost on the street or something um but to be hit by a moving object a train um you know and it probably it's on camera as well because it was filmed in the train station so probably they can get a copy of that and even see how, how disastrous it was. But, um, but yeah, we live another day. That's the most important thing. Don't stop living. So we, we live another day, you know.
1: That's right. That's right. And I, I have uh, checked out your social media, especially after I heard about the accident, to see if I can get any more information and see how you were doing. And there are quite a few pictures of, uh, of as you said, black and blue stitches. And you look like you took quite a quite a wallop to the, to the head and i know you're going to share your social media when we get to the end here but if our listeners want to want to check out some of the aftermath of that that accident they can take a look on your your social media
2: yeah i mean i've always been a very honest and open person whether it's with blogging or just life so i'm not going to keep that story quiet I, you know it, as well if i'm if i don't post anything for two or three weeks on my blogs or on my social media people will think i've died you know so the situation, you have to put something up there. So I could put a picture of cheese on toast and a cup of tea saying, you know, I'm having my breakfast here, but that's boring. Um, so I've put a post of, uh, you know, being in hospital, which might also be boring, but it's real. So it, it, it kind of follows the story. If people follow me as a story, rather than just, you know, photos, that they'll see that life is really up and down. And bloggers and, and writers, we don't shy away from disaster we unfortunately we're part of of that and we have to take the rough with the smooth
1: yeah you gotta keep posting in order to keep the search party search parties from being launched let them know you're still out Yeah, and if people
2: know if they know that i'm in hospital at least they know where i am you know it's not like oh he's gone off the the, he's gone off into the deserts of namibia no i'm actually i'm in a a hospital and I, i can even tag it on facebook you know it's it's that's the world we live in you can even hashtag and tag where you are. Uh, so, so that's it.
1: Okay. Hey, I, it sounds like you've, you've listened to an episode or two of the, uh, John freaking mirror pod and I want to give you a heads up on one of the regular uh, features on our show. It's called the pro tip, uh, insight of the week. And it's just kind of, uh, some expert knowledge from, from your head that kind of arises from our conversation, whatever story, whatever stories we're sharing back and forth, uh, at the end of the episode i 'm going to ask you okay, so what we've talked about today what what is one piece of information you can you can uh, claim is the the pro tip inside of the week that our listeners can learn from you so I just want to keep, have you uh, keep an open mind for that and be on the lookout for that as we as we talk today and just be aware i'll be asking, I'll be asking you about that at the end of the pod here
2: that's an interesting concept um, so at the moment as we speak, I don't even know what that will be, but yeah, it might develop and come out at the end of the, of the chat. Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay. Very good. So uh, let's get to the first question. Do you listen to the John freaking Muir podcast? Have you listened?
2: Yeah, I have. And doc, this is what happened is, um, I, I used to be quite a podcast guy. And um, w- when I worked in London, I, I was, I was on the Metro, the tube, uh, going to, to work. Uh, and t- you know what it's like in a city like London, uh, I, I had an iPod at the time, so I was listening to podcasts on that so I got into kind of football political podcasts and then when I started traveling, I started listening to more and more travel podcasts and um, there are quite a lot of them, but believe it or not i I like the ones that um that aren't as kind of uh, I wouldn't say not mainstream but the ones that aren't promoted like in mass media, t- as, as kind of the official, you know, this is the official guide to that. So when you got in touch, that was the first time I had a chance to listen to it. Um, and yeah, it was really fascinating to see uh, um, the range of people on there, but actually the, the kind of freedom and the, as a backpacker, it was interesting to see a lot of hikers, hitchhikers, people heading out into the wilderness, into the wild, um but you know, because we get our inspiration from others. Um and of course the most recent one I listened to is it Fo- fozzy or Fo- uh Keith foskett Yes, fozzy Keith Foskett, yeah. you're right. I find it fascinating. Um so that was a really good chat. And it was interesting because he's he's got quite a strong, I don't know if you've noticed, he's he got quite a strong English accent. Um so you must get a range of people on on the show. With different accents, and it was quite interesting because when I heard about that podcast, I didn't expect his accent to be like that for some reason. I I, I knew about the books and the the hiking, Um, so it was quite interesting because I used to live in England um, and I've got friends that talk the same way. Uh, So, so yeah, I I listened to it, and after this podcast, uh, my plan is to listen to a lot more and try to get the back catalogue in there so I'm I'm kind of up to speed. if I'm not getting hit by trains, I'll be listening to the, the John freaking Muir podcast.
1: Nice. That's, that's a great clip right there. We can use as a, as a promotion. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I, what I'm taking away from that uh, Johnny is that the John Freakin' Muir pod is not a mainstream podcast
2: yet. Well, <laughs> I, I guess that, yeah, I don't know. Cause the word mainstream is debated, isn't it? People have their own uh, kind of, i don't know whether we even want is mainstream even the best you know it's it who knows uh but the more people that listen the better so tune in keep listening that's that's my advice Uh, if it becomes more mainstream than expected from you then that's life isn't it we can't control who listens and and who puts it in their newspaper or on their website
1: that's right. You know, I'm okay that we're not mainstream. I'm I'm just happy that a few people tune in each week and and want to listen to what I, what we have to say. And you know, in terms of the the accents and people coming from all over the world, I guess adventurers by their very nature. You know, they are all over the place. So, you know, I, I, I'm I'm glad that you reached out uh, when I reached out to you, and and that we're having this conversation. So that's great. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about your upcoming book. You've got uh, some pretty exciting news yourself on uh, something happening in September. Why don't you tell us about it?
2: Yeah, so for uh, I've been a writer like most of my life. You know, as a as a kid when I went to school, I was writing like short stories. I was writing poems. I was writing about my adventures, and I was I was writing for football magazines. So the the football kind of gives you give me that real life writing because if you know if the football match ends two 0 You have to write the facts you know you write that it was 2-0 you can't really dress it up any better than that so when i got into writing i was doing a lot of factual writing and then i realized that the kind of magical creative part of writing is is where it's all at you know the likes of narnia c.s lewis the author you know he um he wrote about this fictional land narnia um and that got me quite interested in going to places around the world and um, and writing about them, but writing with my mind. So, you know, a thousand people can visit, uh, I don't know, the Empire State Building and 990 of them will write the same thing. You know, it's a tall building, building with a great viewpoint. And in the other 10 people, that, you know, somebody might write about the toilet or the smell or... Or something different. So, um, through my journey, I was making notes uh, all the time. I was I was writing things. I was observing the world around me, and eventually, of course, it was going to become a book. Uh, it was it was too big for the blog, if you like. You know, the the blog is. It, it, I'm not saying it, it's boring, but the blog is like the the kind of internet easy to. Easy to read. You, you can read it on a train. You know, you can you can have a look at my blog for three minutes on a train and then go to the toilet and forget about it. But with a book, I want people to hold it. I want them to, to to read it thoroughly and and make it dirty. You know, the best book is a book that gets a bit dirty because people have actually read it and it. You, you know, the pages have been used. Um, so yeah, the the first um, the first volume is. I've, well, I've got it in my hand. I actually have it here in my flat um, in Warsaw, but uh, the, the book officially will be global from the 12th of September. Um, so I guess if any of the listeners out there are interested in that, it's not going to be difficult for them to find the book or find out how to buy it uh, globally on on you know Barnes and & Noble and Amazon, etc., and through my own website. So that's the first volume. It's called Backpacking Centurion. Mm-hmm um, and there'll be three volumes. So yeah, if there's any more questions on that doc, I I can answer them now or or what what do you think?
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the title backpacking Centurion. I get the backpacking. Where does the centurion come from?
2: Yeah. Um, this links to a lot of my life. When I was a student in Bournemouth in England, um, there used to be a game called centurion and it was like, um, students in those days had a, had a cheap lifestyle you'd get uh, a bottle of beer or cider for a few pounds, like a big one. And you'd go around with a shot and you'd have one shot each, you know, with your friends. And by the time you got to the 100th shot, uh, it was impossible not to be drunk. It it was, and it sounds like, oh, some, you know, some big guy could take a hundred and it'd be easy. But actually, if you think about it, a hundred shots of, you know, I'd guess, 35 milliliter or or 50 milliliter shots of alcohol in a group um, becomes, uh, you know, it's a party for a start. But the idea was to get to 100. So it's Centurion. We called it Centurion. And that always stuck in my mind, uh, you know, from my student days through my backpacking days. Um, And then when I realized that I've done uh, to the, I've got to the point where I'm, I'm almost at a hundred countries. That was about six years ago. So I decided to call myself, um, the backpacking centurion, um, you know, I, and whether or not I made it to the 100 or not, that was the dream was to make it there. And, and when I made it there, I realized that that's the title for the book then, you know, it's, um, it's quite simple. So, a hundred countries that I I backpacked through, um, physically wearing a backpack, which you know I don't put the backpack on just for the photo. Uh, <laughs> you have to put things in the backpack. You need water for a start, and I'm not carrying it in my hand all the time. So, so everything in the backpack through one hundred countries and the stories that came from that. That's it. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. And you, know, you said this is the first in a series of books what is it are they books arranged chronologically
2: yeah exactly um and th- this is really interesting because i love the word chronological it's i think it's a great word i love the word trilogy um and i've i've almost amalgamated all of those into that book series so um what i also like about chronological is you can cheat a little bit so like chapter 21 might be november 2011 and then Chapter Twenty Two could be October because you kind of, you, you know, you, you've almost taken the kind of well the Marty McFly and the Doc a- analogy, and you've you've stuck a wee chapter in there that that could have been before that one or it could have been after, and you, you've messed it around a bit. So while it is chronological generally, there are a few kind of twists and turns in there. Like one story might be more relevant if you knew about it before something else happened. So. I've mixed it around, Backpacking Centurion, volume one is definitely the early part of my travels. Volume two is the most intense because that's the point where I've amassed 50 countries. I've been to all seven continents. I've I've worked in jobs that not only do I not recommend for others, but uh, jobs that I never envisaged I would do as a kid. Uh, and then the, the third volume, um, which is the only one without a title at the moment. Uh, the third volume is the one where I, I, I make it to that 100th country. Uh, so, the, the, yeah, just to just to go over them again. So all three are part of the Backpacking Centurion series. Volume one is Don't Look Back in Bangor. Bangor is my hometown, and I'm not looking back at it. I've left it. Um, volume two is Lands Down Under, which is basically all the countries lower than the equator. You know, I was more strict than just Australia on that, and um, and then the third volume kind of brings me up to the point where, in fact, it could be: will he make it or will he not? Will he visit one hundred countries or, or will he not? So the spoiler is that obviously I did visit them, um, and and that's what makes the third volume. Um, and uh, I don't know if if. Um, how many people are, are interested, you know, that would listen to this to, to buy three volumes. That's quite a lot. Three volumes is quite a lot in a in a trilogy um, of a backpacker, but there's actually a fourth volume. Um, I don't know if you, do you want me to mention that? or Absolutely, let's hear about it. Yeah, so, I mean, this could be a little bit of um, an exclusive there for the whole, um, you know, John freaking Muir community out there uh, because the fourth volume is actually the kind of, the ones that missed the cut, if you like, you know, these are the golfers that played for two two days and didn't make it to the Saturday and Sunday. So these are the little stories that didn't make it to the volumes because I thought maybe they don't fit or maybe they weren't good enough actually. Um, and when I looked back on those uh, chapters that didn't make it, I thought actually they should have made it, but they're now not chronological. They're in a little volume of their own. And I'm going to call that uh, the black volume. So that's like the dark, the dark times. It's, it's, it's not going to be a pleasure cruise. You know, we're not sitting, sipping cocktails with a beautiful sunset. It's going to talk about the the dark moments, the black, you know, almost taking Metallica's idea of having a black album, you know, um,
1: black black album black volume i love it this is this is great i'm feeling a lot of parallels to to my life you know not making the cut uh you know the 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 short unfortunate stories this this is something that i have to read
2: yeah and i think the golfer's thing about not making the cut i don't do you watch golf are you into golf
1: i do yes
2: yeah because i you know i'm i'm from the same country as rory mcelroy which obviously he you know he's a bit of a hero for a lot of us because he was just a normal guy playing golf. You know, he used to hit the golf ball into his washing machine. But it's, all, it's always fascinating to know what happens when they don't make the cut. You know, there was a golfer like Darren Clark, also from Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't make the cut, you'd find him in the bar. <laughs> so it, it's a, a lot of my story, and I guess part of your, your life when you talk about that, the blackness is, yeah, if you don't make the, the cut, you can end up, in the bar and you can end up doing something that you shouldn't have done. You know, we should all make the cut and be there for the fourth day, but life is not like that, you know? Hey,
1: what's up with Rory anyway? When he, when he first burst on the scene, he was a, he was a little guy. Now he's got like thighs hanging out of his sleeves. His arms are huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it's just the. It could be the lifestyle of that. I mean, I remember Tiger Woods when he first started. I mean, I I was I was a big fan of Tiger Woods for sure when he first came on the scene, and then mm-hmm. when Rory came in. But Rory is he is a little guy. Obviously, he's he's had a bit more food through the years, but he he <laughs> tries. You know, like all good golfers, they they try to keep some type of diet to make sure they have the strength because the arm strength is is incredibly important um you know so yeah for me uh outside northern ireland of course tiger uh, you know it's a, another guy i'd love to meet um just for his you know bursting onto the scene as well you know it's 17 i think tiger woods was when he first won the um mm-hmm. the us uh the us masters i think was the first one yes so in fact rory still hasn't won that uh so that's that's what that's the, that's like a monkey on on Rory McIlroy's back. He has to he has to try and win the the U.S. Masters.
1: Yeah, Irishman golfer. He needs a green jacket, obviously.
2: Exactly. Yeah, the the green jacket is you know it's iconic. He he should you know Rory McIlroy should his book should be you know searching the green jacket or something so that he can finally put that on. You know. Nice, nice. So
1: the 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 first in your in your uh, series deals with kind of the early years of your childhood. Do you want to talk about uh, how you got into hiking and traveling and when you first knew that you were destined for this kind of lifestyle?
2: Yeah, and the thing is as you get older in life, you don't you don't tend to dwell on specific moments so much because life just happens, you just go with the flow, but um when I look back um I, and we we spoke about golf there, but I'm I'm actually more into football or soccer or or English football, wh- whatever people want to call it. Um, you put the ball at your feet and you kick it through, you know, posts and try and score a goal. That that was what I started, um, doing as a kid. And we had a we had a park near where I lived, so you, you'd walk up the street. There'd be a river. There was a bridge across the river. And there was a park there. So there were trees, there was a park, you would play football. Um, This is in the 1980s in Northern Ireland. Uh, So yeah, football was my original release because that was, you know, I I was hitchhiking from my, my, my parents' home to the football pitch, which is only a 10 minute walk, but (laughs) it was some type, it was, you know, at that age as a six or seven year old, that feels like you're, your world you know so my world cup final playing football i got to the limit of that you don't want to just go to the river you know 10 minutes from where you grew up you want to go to the river on the other side of the world you want to hike through a forest where the animals that live there are not the animals that, that you saw as a kid so um yeah football uh, as a global sport got me into that and one of the reasons is When I was six years old, and when I was ten, because it's every four years is the World Cup. So when I was six, uh, we had the World Cup was in Mexico, and I had the book. I had a sticker book, uh, and that sticker book had all the players in it. But I remember as a kid looking at that, looking South Korea, Iraq, you know, Egypt, all these countries. Cameroon, they were all in the World Cup. Uruguay, and I. I started getting fascinated by, you know, oh, the Uruguay team wears blue, the South Korean team wears red, and they're fighting against each other for who's gonna win this World Cup. Um, And my dream was just to visit a few of those countries. I think Uruguay I'd I'd put as high priority because, um, I don't know if you know, do you watch football or soccer? I do, Do yes, yeah, Yeah, I catch catch a
1: game occasionally.
2: That's great. So um, I, I guess the, the U.S. had the World Cup in 94, which was great. Um, but Uruguay hosted the first one. So, you know, this small country of three and a half million people, that's all. You know, Uruguay only has three and a half million people. I and mean, that's incredible. Um, you know, Hong Kong has more people in one city. Uh, and Uruguay hosted the first World Cup. But the story doesn't end there. They hosted it and they won it and then 20 years later they won it again in Brazil. So Uruguay had shot out at me as a kid and it was the dream that I wanted to, to go backpacking um, to places like Uruguay. That was, a, that was the dream, uh, but I had no idea that I'd be sitting here years on, not only having done the dream, but having gone beyond that sticker book i was going to places that weren't even in the sticker book you know south korea and uruguay is easy you know when you get into places like you know democratic republic of congo and burundi they're not even in the sticker book in fairness to them so um so yeah that that's that's a bit how it started from childhood um i guess that progresses through your teenage years and into your 20s and that that's that's the way it is you know
1: that's an amazing connection and inspiration to, you know, take that, that sport that you, you grew up with. And and that is what launched you into traveling around the world and, and visiting more than a hundred countries. That's, that's very cool.
2: Yeah. And I, I think also part of that is that each page in that book that you turn was a different country. So it, you, you hadn't like mixed Uruguay and South Korea's players together. You had a clear separate page for each country. So on my journeys I wanted to have a separate page also for each country. So I wanted to go to Uruguay and try their food, wear their shirt, um, speak their language. So I almost closed the door on each each country as I went because I wanted to be into that culture there. I wanted it to be different to the one next to it. And I get a bit I get a bit upset when I I visit two countries beside each other and they're too similar. It kind of, I I get confused and upset. So I I like to have that real distinct difference between countries. And of course, uh, sport does bring us that because you see all these crazy people dressed in different ways because in their home country, they dress like that and the other guys don't. So it, it gives you that cultural diversity.
1: Couple of follow-up questions there. How how many countries have you seen a football match in?
2: Um, I was asked this before. Um, If it's on television, it's probably all of them. So every country that I've counted, which is over 180, I've watched a football match on television, probably in all of them. If it's just watching live in the stadium, uh, it's over 100, but probably less than 120. And if it's have I played football in, it's only about 10 because uh, I gave up playing. Um, in fact, my dream would have been to, to back back to the world as a football international superstar, but I'm, I wasn't good enough. so <laughs> Didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work out, yeah. We shelved careers, I guess. It, it probably happened to you as well, Doc. As a kid, you, you, you think of what you want to be, and you know you, you end up not doing that.
1: Yeah. And then how many countries have you lived in?
2: And again, this, you know, this is another question where people debate how long do you have to stay somewhere to live and what do your class as living? So I'm going to say, look, if you've enrolled in a course to study there or you've worked there or you've rented a flat there, or you've, you've lived with a family there, you've lived there in which case I think it's seven countries. Um, uh, yeah, I, so I go with seven, but some people might say it's only you've only really lived in three or four of them. Uh, but I mean, I live in Poland now, I've been here over three years, three and a half years. Uh, so I class that as living here. Um, others might say you're just visiting for three years. So it's really up to debate. For me, seven, others can say what they want, they can say zero if they want, you know. Yeah, now, you know, the man that lived in zero countries—he was in his own mind the whole time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now, before we get to the break here, I want to ask uh, one final question: Of the 180 qu- countries that you have visited, which was your favorite?
2: This is always the same answer. It's it's Northern Ireland, my home country. It's always, always th- that answer. Um, why? Well, my parents are from there. I grew up there. I had a love for life from growing up there. And it also, it's a very honest and bu- brutal country. You know, people are not always the nicest there, but within that, there's a lot of honesty and there's a lot of, you kind of get, um you get a good understanding of life growing up in Northern Ireland because it's not an easy run society there. You know, we've got problems, we've got political problems. We, you know, we're making jokes about the color of someone's t-shirt, Um, which, you know, in an, in a country like, uh, I don't know where I've been uh, in a country like China, no one notices your t-shirt. But in Northern Ireland, if you walk down the street with the wrong t-shirt on, people notice it. And I, I kind of love that brutal honesty that, that i grew up in so that's that's my favorite place uh, my favorite country uh from a biased point of view in terms of countries i visited doc i guess you're you're looking for more of that yeah
1: sure yeah if you yeah. had to pick some another country uh not ireland where
2: uh... yeah so uh, outside of outside of northern ireland i would have to go with I can't say one. I'd have to put about four on the list. So Mexico's great. You know, I love the food. I love the kind of atmosphere in Mexico. Um, Uruguay, I just uh, the football history and the, a small country just doing all this cool stuff. You know, Uruguay send their people all over the world to work. And some of their, you know, superstars are, are in Europe and you kind of don't even notice a lot of them. Um, Uruguay, Poland, I just love the culture of Poland. I love the four seasons of it. You know, it's distinct cold winters and then you've got your warm summers. You've got your, again, a lot of brutal honesty with the people in Poland. They've been through a lot with the the communism thing after the Germans and the Nazis were here. So Poland has been through really bad times. And now they're, they're amazing. They're just so vibrant and full of life. So yeah, for living, Poland. And then the fourth one, uh, so I did say Mexico, Uruguay, Poland. Fourth one I'll stick in there um, is China. And that's because it's 1.3 billion people. It's like a sixth of the world. It can't be neglected. It's amazing culture, whether we agree with it, you know, politically or or with their cuisines, uh, doesn't matter. The fact is the country is huge and it deserves to be seen.
1: That is quite a sampling. And I want to I want to correct myself. I said Ireland, uh, when in fact, it's Northern Ireland. I know that Northern Ireland and, and Ireland are, are, are very separate. And I did not mean to uh, to uh, slight you in any way
2: by by yeah. uh, leaving off the north. Yeah, I know. It's, that's, to be honest, that, that's a talking point in itself because yeah. it can really, you can get into debates about that and it fascinates some people because obviously some countries are clear, like South Africa is a country and it's called South Africa, but there is no North Africa country. So it's, it's interesting when I say Northern Ireland, yeah, of course, I mean the country, not, not the region. So it's, uh, yeah, and whether you're from the, the south part of Ireland or Ireland or, or Northern Ireland, you're still from that, that landmass. So there's, there's something magic in the air there.
1: Okay. Hey, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about, uh, don't stop and the adventure blogging gig. So stay tuned for that. Be right back. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com/podcasters to get started. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long.
2: Hey, this is best-selling indie author Keith Foskett, and if I'm not enjoying the great outdoors, I'm listening to the John Freaky your podcast.
1: Okay. Welcome back. Uh, We've been talking with Johnny Blair here, adventure blogger. Uh, Your, your blog pit, your blog is don'tstopliving.net. How did you get into, into that?
2: Um, Yeah. um, Again, this is going to go on a bit. It's not going to be a simple answer. It's a bit of a long story. Um, But look, as I said, as, as I was growing up, I was always writing. So, you know, as a writer, you're never more than a meter from a pen, you know. In fact, well, there we go. So I've always got a pen right beside me and a piece of paper. And if you're always writing, um, you've always got inspiration and creativity. But the world changed, didn't it? You know, the Internet came out in the mid-90s and suddenly people were writing online. But I didn't have a clue about blogs or anything. So I continued just writing on paper as I traveled, all my stories are in, 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 in books that I have in my flat here. They're just written on paper. Um, and that was it. So I was just a, a writer that didn't tell anyone my story. I just wrote it on a private book or a private diary um, and that was it. And then over the period of traveling, a few things happened that changed that. So the first one, in fact, the first, the two major things that happened were both in Toronto. So I do have to give a shout out to that city. Um, I've only been to Toronto in Canada twice. I've only been twice, but both times were absolutely, you know, not just mind blowing, but they gave me this weird inspiration that started Don't Stop Living. So Don't Stop Living, the whole thing, I can trace it back to Toronto. And this is why. Um, so I visited Toronto 2001. Sorry, yeah, yeah, 2001. That's exactly right, because it was the same year as September 11th. It was, it was a few weeks before the, the September 11th tragedy, and I was in Toronto. I was walking past a high school somewhere near Wellesley Street and Young Street, and I just happened to catch my eye. Out of the corner of my eye, there was graffiti on a wall, and it said there in red writing, it said, don't stop living. It just said that on the wall. Someone had taken a graffiti or a marker and they'd written it in red, writing, don't stop living, with an apostrophe in the word don't. And I just looked at it and went, that's it. That is, you you don't need to know anything else in life. That is it. They have written in three words what, you know, Einstein and Shakespeare and and C.S. Lewis have taken thousands of words to write. This guy, whoever it was, this guy, this girl, this alien, whoever wrote that, they wrote Don't Stop Living on a Wall on a high school in Toronto in 2001. So I wrote it on a piece of paper and said, I like that, I'm gonna keep that, I'm gonna remember it. And then I thought, well, words don't really have a copyright there, do they? So Don't Stop is mine. Um, so somebody wrote it, I took the idea, and then six years later, 2007, I'm back in Toronto another coincidence so that time when i was in toronto i'm sitting there having a beer down by you know lake ontario i'm i'm sitting with a a mate that i just met that day an english guy um lee price and lee was sharing the the same hostel as me we were staying in the same dorm we traveled around the city together just sitting having a beer so after i got the beer just sitting there with it i get my notepad out and i started writing and he looks at me as if I'm the alien. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm just writing my notes about where I went today, what I bought, what I ate, what train I took, what, you know, what road I crossed. And he's like, why don't you put that into your blog? And I sort of looked at him and went, what do you mean blog? And I... It, the realization hit me that I was so immersed in my own world that my technical knowledge of computers was really basic, was really bad. You know, I could, I could go on Google, I could go on Facebook, but I didn't know how to, to edit blogs or start a website. I had no idea. Um, so that night when we got back to the hostel, Lee, this traveler that was with me, he showed me his blog because he had a travel blog. And I went, that's what I should be doing. That's what I need to do. And then he he was like, well, you need to call, you need to give it a name. I thought, well, I'm in Toronto. It's Don't Stop Living. So my 2001 revelation of that high school graffiti, Don't Stop Living, turned into the blog six years later in the same city. And that's where Don't Stop Living was born. It was born in Toronto. So hats off to whoever wrote that. that's that's where the name comes from, and that's where the story comes from. So, Doc, that's a long answer, but that's the real answer.
1: That is a great answer. Um, it's, it's similar to the conversation I had with Fozzie. We were talking about things that come along in your life out of nowhere, and just uh, you could have very easily walked right by that, right, without even noticing it. And for whatever reason, that jumped out at you, and you you welcomed that. You you took it in and uh it germinated for a number of years and boom here we are it's it's amazing how there are these turning points in our lives
2: yeah it it was meant to be you know i was always meant to have a a website called don't stop living and i was always meant to tell people don't stop living and it's funny because you become a bit nameless as a blogger as well sometimes people they might forget your name you know so my name is johnny blair or my name is johnny but th- one time, I was in a bar and some guy goes, "Oh, this is the guy from Don't Stop Living," and I was like, "Yeah, but I've got a name. I'm Johnny." He's like, "Yeah, but you're from Don't Stop Living." Aren't you? And then I thought, "Well, can you actually be from that? <laughs> you know, can you be from graffiti on a Toronto high school wall?" Well, and then I thought, "Well, I, I, that's great if people remember me in that way. That, that's up to them because the world is." is diverse. People have their own ways of looking at things. So yeah, I'm, I can be Johnny from Don't Stop Living. I can be the guy from Don't Stop Living. I can be the guy that stole graffiti from a wall and made a website about it. That's it.
1: Yeah. I tell my kids if we're out on a walk and I see somebody with a pair of, of earbuds in listening to, to something, I say that guy, he's listening to the, the John Freaking Muir podcast. He doesn't even realize he just, he just walked right by, right by Doc.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable, yeah. That's so it's sublime when you think of that because you actually don't know what they're listening to.
1: Yeah, could be anything.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So if someone were to go on to don'tstopliving dot net, uh, check out your blog. What what are what are some of the things they're going to find on there? What are your your regular features? What are the the items on there? I noticed you even have book reviews on there.
2: Yeah, I mean, if if because because I love books, you know, I love writers. So if an author sends me a book um not only do i email them um and and try to connect with them but i'll review the book um uh so i i basically write about that's very touristic i write about what you would do as a tourist if you go somewhere so imagine you go to you know french guyana uh fascinating place it's in you know it's in the north of south america but they use the euro you know, their currency is the euro. What's the capital of French Guyana? It's Paris. Hold on, Paris is in, in Europe. Yeah, but France govern it. So it's like the capital is Paris. They've got their own capital there, Cayenne. So, yeah, I guess um, when you're traveling through places like that, the idea is that you kind of write about them. So don't stop living. Most of that is stories that I've written from places that I've been to i would say most of it is some of the rest of it is it could be book reviews it could be reviews of a backpack you know i love really good backpacks um a water filter bottle um you know i i drink water every day as we do but when you're hiking uh you kind of you need to drink fresh water and it can be hard to find so you get a water filter bottle so i write about little tips from when you're traveling i write about places you can go, people you can meet. And I write about life, you know, your, your feelings. You know, I could walk past uh, a mountain or a reservoir and I could sit there and have a banana and be happy. And someone else would just walk past and not notice that river. So it's a very personal, selfish journey as well. So w- what's on there is, is what I've seen in the world. You can go to the same city that I've been to and see something different. And you might not even agree with me but I agree with me because I've written what I saw.
1: And does it, does it produce any revenue for you? Is it a moneymaker?
2: Yeah. I mean that, that, that is the thing. Um, when I started, um, don't stop living. It was just a blog. It was just basically my paper and pen Mm -hmm. was now on the internet, but I guess a few years into that I got asked by a lot of, um, tourist companies, um, travel companies, to write about them, mention them in an article and then get paid for it. I then got invited to events. I got invited to sponsor tours, sponsored trips. So, uh, I mean, that's a whole podcast on its own to be honest, cause that's, mm-hmm. that's as a, as a professional travel blogger. Um, yeah, my, my hobby of blogging turned into a business and don't stop living is it's a robust, huge website. Um, but if a website is, Diverse and and has a bit of an appeal to people uh, There's money in it anything that appeals to people has money um, You know, it, it, it could be a fashion blogger a clothes blogger I know football bloggers that are making money mm. and brilliant because people read that um, So yeah, I I didn't dream it to make me money um, but the fact that it does make me money is not only it's good for me with the money, but it also inspires me to keep it going. You know, you could easily lose the um, the passion and energy for something if there's nothing worthwhile in it. Like if no one's reading it and there's no advertisers, it's it's almost pointless, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the money element keeps keeps me inspired, and also it it's really nice that. Um, you can help each other. So if a travel company wants to be on my website, I help them by putting them on the website. They help me um, by paying me for that. So I guess that's the way it works.
1: Yeah. Um, Mrs. Doc is always asking me when the podcast is going to start earning some money. So maybe there's some hope for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I do listen to a few other podcasts, um, Rick Gazarian, um, another guy from the US, he's he's a fantastic podcaster, um, but the interesting thing about Rick is he's also a travel blogger, so he's almost like part of you and part of me, you know, doing it together, so, you know, he might be a good guy to, to speak to about, um, you know, getting a podcast to you know, to not just be in the revenue game, but to be on a, 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 maybe a a different level where it's the passion drives you as well as the money, you know? Um,
1: Yeah. If you can introduce um, me, I'd love to have him on.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, 2020 has been an interesting year. So the next six months, there's a, there's great scope. Uh, So yeah, Rick, if you, if you know, if anyone has, has listened to Rick's podcast um it's actually he's got he's got a great title for his podcast it's called counting countries so he's almost like whether you've been to two countries 87 countries 120 his his mantra his idea is get these guys on to talk about the countries they've been to counting countries yeah fantastic fantastic
1: so speaking of countries you've been to 180 countries
2: Yeah, this is another debate. This is another great debate, you know. Um, If you drink Coca-Cola, Coke Zero, Coke Light and Tab Clear, how many different types of Coke have you had? Four, yeah. If you go to United Kingdom and you visit Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland and England, how many countries have you been to? Is it four or one? So I'm very much a separatist and a nationalist in that way. So I like to nationalise things into separate culture that's there so for me scotland is not the same as england it never will be scotland is a different country so i go for the the high level of um of countries you know high a high number because i want to cut them even deeper i want to get deeper into that not just go by what the un or fifa or these global bodies tell us so i'm on 186 on my count you know, you'll get some people telling me that 30 or 40 of those, they're, they're, they're all the same. But that's, that's their opinion on it. Um, so, yeah, I've got a full list on my website. Don't stop living as a full list of all those countries. So if anyone wants to debate it and email me about it, feel free to. But I'm not going to change my mind on it.
1: Yeah, I saw a section on your, your blog about unrecognized countries. So is a, is, a uh-huh. country, is a country a country if it's unrecognized?
2: Yeah, it's another debate isn't it so you know it's it's life is really full of these um you know diverse opinions and this you know eclecticness within within a niche there is something eclectic there you know like imagine the guy that eats pizza every night so seven days a week he eats pizza so somebody goes up to him and says hey you're really boring You, you eat pizza seven days a week and he goes no monday i had a chinese pizza tuesday i had an indian pizza thursday you know wednesday thursday different country style of pizza and then you know he's going into the detail of of how his 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 life is exciting so for me 180 countries is exciting uh, unrecognized countries is highly exciting so um i don't know i'll give you some examples of these um if you go to Armenia, Armenia is a recognized country. Most people say, yeah, that's Armenia. Capital city, Yerevan, nice country. They've got a flag, yellow, blue, and red. They've got their own you know, currency. They've got their own Olympics team. Armenia is a country. But when you get to Armenia, you can also visit Artsakh. What is Artsakh? Artsakh is an unrecognized country. Um, that has Armenian people living there on land that is claimed by Azerbaijan. So when you go to Artsakh, you need a separate visa. They have their own passport stamps. They have their own postage stamps. They have their own Olympics committee. They have their own capital city called Stepanakert. They have their own, you know, transport system, their own government. So I got into unrecognized countries quite quickly. so Artsakh, yeah, I've been to Artsakh, also known as the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, that's a fascinating place. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if your listeners out there, Doc, if they're aware of unrecognized countries. If they're not, we've, we've opened up a door to a new world here.
1: Yeah, so unrecognized countries. If I, so I want to make sure that I'm understanding this. You have a, a, a piece of land that is claimed by two different countries. And that's what makes it unrecognized. Is that is am I following that?
2: That's a really, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, that's one. But when you said that it's claimed by two countries, it could be three, it could be four, it could be zero. This is, this is a really interesting one is, um, in Lithuania, there's a capital city there called, um, Vilnius. Now Vilnius has a river that river has about six bridges, so. What happens is when you walk across that bridge that somebody's put all these signs up saying you're now entering the Republic of Župis. So in other words, you're not in Lithuania anymore. You've crossed the river in the capital city of Lithuania. And they're telling us this is not Lithuania. This is the Republic of Župis. So I went to Župis just because of that. Um, I walked across the bridge. I got my passport stamped with, you know, welcome to Župis. I went to the government building, I did a, a pottery tour, I had their local beer, I had their local dish, I met the and I spent a day there and at the end of that I walked back across the bridge into Lithuania. So Lithuanians will claim Užupis is theirs, but Užupis will not claim Lithuania is theirs. So it's, it, can, it can work both ways, but unrecognised yet, yeah, nobody recognises Užupis apart from me and a few other crazy people, probably.
1: And is it, are there any unrecognized countries within the uh, the United States borders?
2: Yes, this is fascinating. There are lots. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get political here, but, you know, the likes of Barack Obama and Donald Trump probably have not heard of these places. You know, I mean, in fact, I mean, even George Bush might have been to some of them, but you've got Molossia. Um, Molossia is Kevin Bow. He's the kind of, either the president or the monarch there. And Molossia has its own flag, its own passport stamp, its own currency. And you can actually go there. It's in Nevada. Um, so as long as you don't have the coronavirus, you can you can probably get across the border into Molossia, meet the president, have a cup of tea with him, um, and, you know, ride a donkey or something. It's it, it's an interesting... Is
1: that the philosophy. national animal? Uh,
2: well, I just made that up. You'd have to ask. The, yeah, it, it, it may not be a donkey, it, uh, but... Um, yeah, you can, you, you can leave the United States, and th- this also delves into something a bit more tricky, is like Puerto Rico, Guam, you know, being a guy from the US, you and, and probably most of your citizens there will class it as 50 states, yeah? Yes. Um, but Puerto Rico is not included in that. So what's it then? Is it, is it a country? Is it the 51st state? Is it part of Florida, which it's not? Um, so when you start getting deeper into this kind of unrecognized game, it opens up a huge, it, it opens up the wardrobe that C.S. Lewis created. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's fast. And I don't know if you, have you been to Florida before?
1: Yes, I have.
2: Yeah, so you know about Key West and all that, right?
1: You know, and, and we're, you know, we're not claiming Florida it, Florida is a weird place all to itself. And they, they do every weird story you see in the news seems to stem uh, from Florida. You know, the, the crazy stories out there, uh, that's, inevitably you get, you get to the second paragraph of, of the news story and you, you realize that oh, this is Florida again. So
2: that's, that's good to know. Um, yeah. Cause Florida has something interesting. Um, not just like the the Florida Keys I mean I think the space shuttles are, are launched in from there aren't they? Yes. NASA yeah. has their big base in Florida so yeah there is a lot of crazy stuff going on in Florida and of course Miami's there as well um, but have you heard of the Conch Republic? Have not. Right so in Florida there's another unrecognized country or, or state or whatever you want to call it and it's called the Conch Republic and they've got their own flag. You know, They've even put their own flag up there to say welcome to the Conch Republic. Like you are now leaving Florida. You have now entered the Conch Republic. And you'll you get some, some people going, what do you mean you're now leaving Florida? I'm still in Florida. No, no, you're in the Conch Republic. So I, I love that little bit of diversity. And you know, if, if Donald Trump's not going and closing these places down, then they must exist. You know, if the country republics there, it exists. Um, whether the, the president of, of the US knows about it or not is not the point. People can, can go there. So it creates a magical uh, world of opportunity for creating new countries and new, uh, I don't know, just, yeah, unrecognized places that that, that, that are inspirational in some way.
1: Maybe that'd be part of his uh, campaign slogan for twenty twenty. He's gonna build that wall around the Conch Republic.
2: <laughs> that would be interesting because then that country would have a little bit more recognition because they could actually say, "Well, we've got a border now." <laughs> so yeah, but I'll, I'll leave the politicians to do what they want.
1: Same, same. Um, so what types of adventures have you taken? Is it strictly backpacking or is it, do you have other, other types of adventures you take when you're, you're, you're visiting these places?
2: So the spectrum and the range of that is huge. I, I don't set myself limits and I don't really set too many targets either. It's, um, anything goes. So Yeah, I've lived in my tent before and I've also stayed in a five-star hotel. So somebody will look at me and put those two things together and say, well, they're not both backpacking. And my argument is they are because when I turned up in that five-star hotel, I was dressed like a backpacker. I probably didn't smell good that day until I got into my room in the five-star hotel where they got the best shampoo, the best shower gel. I was able to freshen up and and look amazing. So um, the word backpacker, I class that as putting a backpack on and walking somewhere. So it doesn't matter to me uh, whether you're walking through a desert, you know, in the Sahara, or you're walking through New York City, or you're, you're down by the harbour in, in uh, Sydney in Australia. It doesn't matter to me where you are. If you've got your backpack on with all the magic things inside it, you know, what, what can you put in a backpack? You can put a tent in there. You can put um, six books in there. You can put change of clothes for different cultures in there. You can put a a bottle of whiskey in there. You know, the amount of things you can fit in a backpack uh, is incredible and it's personal. So what I have in my backpack is not what the next guy has in his. So I guess, um, yeah, backpacking, to use the term backpacking, um, it's just putting a backpack on And not having a plan, in my opinion, going somewhere and, and seeing uh, a range of different things. Yeah. Does does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. It does. Absolutely. What is your, what's your next adventure?
2: The next adventure is for everyone on this planet to get rid of this virus and allow us to go backpacking again without restrictions. Um, you know, I'm I'm dreading my next backpacking adventure because my backpack will be checked for everything, you know. Um, so, as so yeah, as soon as the, the kind of lockdown and the world settles down a bit, it will be amazing to go backpacking again, but the world has changed, so it won't be the same. I mean, I, I was backpacking probably hardcore for about 10 years and in that time, you're talking about days where you don't know where you're sleeping that night. You don't know what you're eating that night. You don't know when you're going to run out of water or run out of passion or or encounter a dangerous animal or a dangerous person or be stranded in the middle of nowhere with no transport. So those are the adventures. The adventure of, of a man and his backpack uh, is is unpredictable. You you know, you put your backpack on, fill it with all that you need for a week and leave your hometown, see where you end up, see where you go, see what happens. Nothing will be normal again. You won't be working nine to five, you know, in a hi-fi store, it's not gonna happen. Okay,
1: when we get back from the break, we're gonna talk about uh, some specific adventures you've taken in the past. So stay tuned we'll be right back. Whosoever is delighted in solitude is either a wild beast or a god. Aristotle. Hi, I'm Doc and I'm Jukebox. You might know us from the John Freakin' Meerpod. Join us each week as we dissect, discuss, and predict after each episode of the History Channel's Epic Adventure Show alone. We will share our opinions on the victories and failures of the contestants and offer our insights into how we could have done it better. Remember, hindsight is always 2020. Also, full disclaimer: we are not bushcraft experts by any stretch of the imagination. All right, welcome back. We're going to get down to the nitty gritty of some of the adventures that jumped out at me when I was going through your your blog, Don't Stop Living. Uh, you know, one of the things that in my mind, um, in my childhood, um, well, not even childhood, young adulthood, was the Chernobyl disaster. And I saw that on your, your blog, you you had listed that you had done some backpacking in the uh the chernobyl area and so i'm i'm fascinated to hear what that was like uh what what that place looks like now uh, is it inhabited uh what's the wildlife like um just and there there's a name for it there's a it's a particular zone what what is it called it's uh
2: Uh, I I guess the locals have their Ukrainian version of it, but we we generally call it the C-E-Z, which is Chernobyl Exclusion Zone. Exclusion
1: Um, Zone, that was it, yes.
2: Yeah. Now, every question you've asked me there, every statement you said about Chernobyl is actually, in a nutshell, the reason why I went there. So I wanted to know about the wildlife, the restrictions, the disaster. When I was growing up, I heard stories from around the world of news. And when you hear news, it doesn't have to be positive. Um, but in my mind that the negative news has a positivity for the next generation. Yeah. So Chernobyl was a terrible, terrible catastrophe, an absolute disaster. You know, whether nuclear power is is a good thing to, to solve the world's, you know, problems in future for electricity and for, you know, I don't know, creating cities that that are, you know, like Silicon Valley or somewhere that, that can really uh, develop humans and develop machines to a high level. That's not the point. The point is that things can go wrong. Um, and the Soviet Union, of course, in their time as that country, they love to experiment. Chernobyl was an experiment. It was um, an incredible uh, power plant, which give all that electrical power to, to people. In a cold winter, you know, Russia, Ukraine, those parts of the world have really cold winters. So, electricity is important. People having fun and being, you know, together is important. So, Chernobyl was created, um, to to power the zone. Uh, People were trained how to use the power plant. um, And yeah, everything's working well. They got cities running. People have sport. People have school education. Ukraine, at that point, 1986, we're talking here. Mm -hmm. Life is good. um, And there's a really interesting city called Pripyat. And Pripyat is uh, in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. This is one of the scariest places I've been in my life. Why is it scary? Because in 1986, in April 1986, 50,000 people lived in Pripyat. It was a normal functioning, wonderful, beautiful city, 50,000 people, okay? The day after Chernobyl or the disaster or the, the few days after that, the population of Pripyat is zero. It's zero. There's not even a cat or a dog there. It's zero. Because if people didn't die or get infected um, you know, with the radiation, the people were told to leave. So basically the, the Soviet Union government put them all on minibuses or buses and they, they shipped them out to, to Kiev or to another part of Belarus or Ukraine to get them away from radiation in the air. The radiation was everywhere, it was in the ground, you know, dogs, it was affecting the animals. Um, and it's sad when you see like a, a stray dog that you know you feel helpless. Um, so that that's that was the story of Chernobyl. I had to see it. I, you know, it's okay watching it on television and reading books about it, but how do you travel around the world? You actually go there. So there are a few companies that organize guided tours. To Chernobyl, um, so as a blogger, it was always quite high on my list. Um, I guess there were two things that I wanted to to do. Was one was visit every country in the Soviet Union. Um, that was a fascination I had, so I did that. Um, and the other one was go to Chernobyl uh, and and see what's really there. So. It's actually not that difficult to organize, Doc. If, you know, you can Google it and you can find that there are a lot of tour companies. So you'll need your passport. You'll need to sign some documents. You'll need to be aware that you, you don't just touch everything. It's 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 a sensitive area. And you don't stray off the beaten path there. You kind of stick to what your guides and scientists are telling you. And you stick to the regulations. And you'll be fascinated because for scientists, for for backpackers, for tourists, for ge- geologists, for, for anyone, um, it's fascinating. A city of fifty thousand people, which still has a cinema, but there's no one in there. You can see the seats. There are people sitting in those seats thirty-five years ago. Today, there's no one. There's a football stadium with grass, you know, taller than you and me. Uh, there's a, a Ferris wheel from an amusement park, and there's nobody on it. Nobody's used those for 30 years. There were gas masks on the floor of a primary school when they were evacuated. They're all still lying there. So it's, it's, um, it's a time warp back to the Soviet Union. Like it's you know it's 30 years ago, uh, 34 years ago, uh, that country doesn't exist anymore. But if you want to see what it might have been like, you can go to Chernobyl. Um, so th- that's, that's quite a long answer again. But I think the most important thing I would say is, if you're interested in that, best thing is go and see it. Um, and you can, you know you can, you can sleep overnight. there's a hotel there. Uh, a thousand people live inside Chernobyl Exclusion zone. You, get, uh, you can get a postcard and a fridge magnet to say you've been there. You cross the the passport control. Um, and I had lunch there. The lunch was delicious. Um, I have to say that lunch was brilliant. It was like it was like a seven course meal.
1: Well, I hear the I hear the fridge magnets. They glow in the dark, so you know, dual purpose. Well,
2: that's the thing. You know, we can laugh about them a little bit years on. Um, but the the you know the good news is the scientists that that are working there, they're doing all they can to make sure it doesn't happen again. I guess in Japan you got like Fukushima as well. Um, these disasters happened so you can do two things you can um visit them or not visit them so my idea is visit them uh because then at least you can learn from the past and not repeat it it's the same with uh, these german nazi you know the death camps that like Mm -hmm. that hitler was creating i've been to i've been to three of those and i I continue to go to them i've been to genocide places in bosnia uh, uh rwanda um uh yeah and and uh cambodia that was the one i was thinking of and you you kind of need to see the disasters of life to feel really uh, a sense of of loss and and anger at things that went wrong um because you know they don't stop living my my idea of that is is also that life is not about sitting on a beach, sipping cocktails, eating the best steak, and watching an amazing sunset with people you love. No, life is about everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, even deeper than the ugly. So Chernobyl is, is ugly. It's not a pleasure cruise. It's not a beautiful day. And what was brilliant was the day I went there, it was dark, it was dull, it was gray. The sky looked boring. The whole thing was scary. You know, if someone addressed as a skeleton and came out and jumped in front of me, it's all part of the the experience of of dark times. So now that I think about it, that's probably a volume for for my my dark, the the black the black volume, I would say.
1: Yeah, those had to be powerful moments being at those those locations, and particularly the you know the the, the deserted area of the exclusion zone and seeing seeing that theater and seeing that Ferris wheel. That's just seeing these places that have been built to be occupied and enjoyed and, and used and having nobody there is just so eerie and so spooky to me. And, and there there are a number of places on this planet that, uh, you know, entire cities have been built and uh, not used for whatever reason or abandoned. And they are just sitting there wasting away. And it's just um, really, it's, it's it gives me chills to, to, you know think about being in a place like that
2: yeah so i mean i definitely recommend if anyone's listening and they they have an idea to go to chernobyl um i recommend it you can do a day trip and another thing to mention is people worry about radiation but if you get your teeth x-rayed at the dentist um that's worse than a day in chernobyl there's more radiation goes into your body from an x-ray at a dentist than if you spend a day at chernobyl there's a lot of facts like that you know if you eat 100 bananas a year you get as much radiation from that as a day in Chernobyl. So people that are worried about it, leave your preconceptions behind and and do a bit of research and and head out there and see it. You know, your life might change.
1: Great, great. Hey, at the beginning of this episode, I teased, uh, you know, what is the connection? What is the possible connection between a, a broccoli harvester in Tasmania and backpacking in Antarctica? And to our, our listeners out there who have no idea – that there could be any kind of connection uh there is a connection for you is that is that correct
2: this is a crazy one um when i was a kid um you know you'd eat uh you'd eat like a a meal with with vegetables uh and meat and generally the vegetables would be potatoes carrots and broccoli maybe cauliflower maybe some peas or, or beans but broccoli so as a person that loves the color green you know broccoli it's not my dream to to work on a broccoli farm but You know, I don't mind the smell of it. I quite like the look of it. Um, So I ended up... um, I got a working holiday visa for Australia. Uh, Now, we're going back 2009 here. Uh, So when I got to Australia, I had a few friends with me there. Um, But I was on a different uh, mindset to them. My idea was just just work every day and just make as much money as I can. Um, I don't know why. I, I just... I was just thinking this is the, the great land to make money and get a bit of money and, uh, and work hard. So there was one night I was, I'd hired a car uh, and I was with three friends, um, Neil, Daniel and Paul. So the four of us took a, a drive down to the, the south tip of Tasmania. Um, now those are aware that Tasmania is an island off the south of Australia. And if you keep going south from Tasmania, you get to Antarctica. It's that simple. Okay, it's miles and miles between Tasmania and Antarctica. But we were sat there, you know, on a beach one night by a calm river. It's like a, a boring Thursday. There's no one else about it, just four of us sitting there. The car was parked. And I said to the guys, you know, straight down there. That's the, the next land there is Antarctica. That's that's it. Um and they were, you know, we were just laughing about it. And I said, Well. I think I might go there. And it was just a joke, you know, I guess for the four of us, because we were cheap backpackers. No one really had the money to get on a ship or a flight to Antarctica. No one really had the dream. But, you know, if I think back to my sticker book with Uruguay and South Korea and Northern Ireland, all in the same sticker book, um, Antarctica is not even a country. It's it's also an unrecognized country because it's not included in the country list. It's in mine though. It's in my country list. Uh, So that was a place that I could go that I felt you know it maybe it's it's worth seeing, but I didn't have the money for it. And that night we sat there looking at Antarctica somewhere down there. Got back in the car, drove to a hostel, slept on the city. Got kicked out of the hostel because I didn't pay for my accommodation that night I was trying to sleep on the settee on the on the sofa uh, and they kicked me out so I went to another hostel um, and everyone in my room was from Hong Kong and they were really noisy at like 3 or 4 a.m. it was just I couldn't sleep and normally I don't have a problem sleeping that night I couldn't sleep so as soon as the sun came up, I went straight into an employment agency in that city called Devonport. Devonport's in Tasmania, just to kind of geographically link it. So from the south tip of Tasmania, end up in Devonport, go into the job, give me a job. What job? Any job. When can you start now? Any limits? No, I'll take any job. I filled in all my details. I had the working holiday visa, left it there. Uh, And on the way out of that job kind of, not interview, but job center, the lady said to me, Oh, you you didn't leave me your phone number. I said, "Sure, I don't have a phone. And she looked at me like, it's 2010, you don't have a phone? I said, no, I don't have a phone. I had a blog. You know, this is funny. I was like advanced enough to have a blog and and an ebook on the way, but I didn't have a phone. And she goes, well, you'll need a phone. And I was like, oh, so I don't have a job and I don't have a phone. So I went straight into Kohl's, the the big uh, department store, the shop there. I bought the cheapest phone they had for 30 Australian dollars. Topped it up with 10 Australian dollars just to have that phone. 20 minutes later, she called me and said, okay, you said you'll do any job. You can start straight away. 7am tomorrow, you're going to cut broccoli. I said, brilliant. She was like, really? I went, yeah, brilliant. I can't wait. They picked me up and I went to a broccoli farm and it was quite funny because the farmer came in and there was like, there were 10 of us, maybe, you know, I'd never cut broccoli before. I'd never really done any farming work like that. Um, So he holds a piece of broccoli and he holds the knife and he goes, right. You cut it like that and then you get rid of the leaves. There were two ways to get rid of the leaves. If you're good with a knife, the knife will get rid of the, na- the leaves. If not, you can pick them off with your hands. So, first day, after about one hour into that job, I was like, "This is brilliant!" Like the you know, I'm walking through fields, cutting broccoli, and I became I actually it it sounds ridiculous to boast about that, but I became an expert in broccoli picking, um, because I was able to cut the broccoli, throw it into the the, the basket that we were collecting while the tractor's moving, taking all the leaves off, making sure that broccoli is straight and ready for set, for sale. So all that you needed to do when you bought my broccoli was wash it. That was it. My broccoli was ready. It was cut, trimmed, thrown into the bucket, take it straight to the shop. So that was my Johnny, first thing. Johnny, Johnny,
1: another, uh, another short list you belong to. That's a Tasmanian broccoli savant.
2: Wow. Whoa. Okay, that's a, that's a new one. Um, yeah. Uh, so th- I mean, t- t- to be honest, uh, when I started that day in that job, I thought it was amazing. Uh, but I remember looking around at the other guys working with me and thinking, "Oh my God, these guys are not inspired by this. They don't think this is in any way amazing." So of course, I was straight back to the um, the hostel that night, and then I, I'm on Facebook. I'm a, I'm on email to to Daniel, Neil, and Paul, the three guys that that I left behind or they left me behind. We, we went our separate ways. I just emailed them and said, this is brilliant, I'm cutting broccoli. I'm going to do that for the next uh, three, three or four months and then I'm going to go to Antarctica. And they're looking at me going, whoa. And so what I did was, um, I did every single broccoli farm that I could. That Anytime a farmer called me on that $30 phone, which is a bargain now, because I was, I was getting $19 an hour so okay, this is even funnier. The, the, you know, the phone cost me thirty dollars, and the uh, the top up cost ten dollars. That's forty dollars. After two hours and ten minutes, I'd broken even. So I'd I'd made my money, and that was that was at nine a.m. on the first day. After that, I made thousands of dollars cutting broccoli, thousands, and that was enough for me to go to uh, to go to Antarctica. That that broccoli farming job paid for my trip to Antarctica. It's as simple as that.
1: Now, before we get to what you experienced in Antarctica, what that was like, I want to go back to that moment on the, the beach in Tasmania, as you guys are sitting there and looking out, you spoke this into existence. That's another thing that, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, if you, if you talk about it, if you, if you publish it, uh, you're helping to make that happen. You spoke it into existence that night, and, and lo and behold, it all came together.
2: Yeah, and I think the other three guys—they didn't mention it. You see, so they didn't have the same dream as me. You know, that was my dream. I'll, I'll go there. You know, oh, there's Antarctica. I'll go there. You know, it's—it's it's a joke. But actually, no. In fact, it was only seven or eight months after that that I actually was there. So I, I did it within. With, I did it within. I, you know, if if yeah, it was eight months, something like that, and it was that quick.
1: And so what was antarctica like
2: um so if anyone's been to antarctica the fascinating the most fascinating thing is that you're far away from the business world if you like there's no commercial stuff so there's no adverts there's no skyscrapers there's no you know uh restaurants or or well there's there's a bar actually Um, that's another story there's a museum and there's a bar but um You know, the normal life, if I say normal, you know, for just say someone living in Kenya. So their normal life is they've got food from a market. They got somewhere to sleep. They got a bit of good music and culture. They love it. They've got a great life. But in Antarctica, forget about that. The Antarctican culture, if you like, is penguins. It's snow. It's it's ice cold winters. And it's basically... um, it's nature i think yeah it, nature lovers would would love to go to antarctica because it's a wilderness and again i was backpacking stick your backpack on so i got a boat there from argentina obviously on a boat then put your backpack on and just go walking through the snow that's it you're in antarctica
1: where did you stay in antarctica and how long were you there
2: yeah I, so i stayed on the boat so this was the thing it was very interesting actually because I, I booked a tour and The tour was 13 days But that was a special offer I I was very lucky. It was meant to be 11 days But the, I if the first I think it was the first 10 people that booked it got 13 days So I had a cabin on the boat But they had promised that we would spend one night sleeping, you know on the land in Antarctica and that day when we were in Antarctica, the captain had announced, oh, of course, at the start of the trip, we told you that Mother Nature is in control here. We can't control what's happened. And we were stranded off the coast of Peterman Island or somewhere, or Plano. It was some part of the Antarctic Peninsula. The boat had got stranded, and there was a lonely little iceberg with a, with a seal or a sea lion just, just floating there. And we stopped the boat, and the the captain announced, right, guys, we're not landing in Antarctica today. Um, We're going to have to to turn around. And that that was the night we were supposed to sleep on the the land. So I visited Antarctica nine times, I think, uh, stepping on land. But I didn't sleep on the land. So I guess the the longest trip, uh, the longest time on land would have been, like, Four or five hours or something I, I don't remember exactly, but you get off the boat, you walk around Antarctica, you slide down the hills with the penguins uh you take photos you you pick up that snow and put it all over you um and you're amazed by by the the lack of um pollution et etc it's very uh natural and it's it's very pure the air there.
1: Have you ever read *Endurance* about Shackleton's journey to Antarctica?
2: Interestingly, there was a library on board the boat, so at, at night when when it was dark or when there were less things to do, you you would pick up those books. So for sure, I've read some of Shackleton's stuff. I, I didn't for sure read the whole book because it was you kind of pick it up and read a chapter and put it back because there'd be an announcement that we're we're boarding or dinner's out or we're going to land now in Antarctica where you got to get your suit on and your your life jacket so I did read about you know those guys um that you know 100 years before I did they were real when you talk about endurance yeah those were the they were the hard guys those were you know
1: yeah, they got they got trapped on the ice. The ship got icebound, and they were out there. It was during World War One, so nobody nobody had the resources or time to send a, a search crew out for them. They were stuck out there on their own for a couple of years before they made it back. And it's just an incredible story. I've talked about it on the on the podcast
2: before, but just. To, uh, as you were talking about antarctica and yeah that, and that's extreme yeah it's extreme and you know you have to survive on whatever you've got water and and biscuits you know like whatever food you have you have to survive on it i was lucky that I was on a guided like a guided boat tour where unless the boat sinks okay if the boat had sank yeah we would have had no food but we had food we had drink you know i even had my laptop you know so i could write <laughs>
1: Nice. Hey, spoiler alert, the sled dogs didn't make it back. And we'll just leave it at that.
0: Oh, I thought there was something else coming.
1: <laughs> no, that was it. Yeah. The sled the, yeah. you said uh, they had to live on whatever they could eat and you know, they had a set of sled dogs with them. Uh, yeah. The yeah. sled dogs did not make it back, so there you go. All right, hey, we're gonna take one more quick break and when we come back, we're gonna hear about the story of Lock in Lee. So you don't wanna miss that. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. One of the other stories that uh, kind of took me down a rabbit hole on your, your blog, don'tstopliving.net was the, the page pages devoted to lock in Lee. Why don't you take us, take us through, uh, who lock in Lee is and, and you know, what, uh, what the stories are all about there.
2: Well, okay. So lock in Lee, obviously it's a person, um, now, I, you know, I I didn't kind of expect people to get nicknames or become almost like a celebrity by default, but, um, but Lock-In Lee, not only is it a great nickname, but I didn't even realize it was a good nickname or what would happen when I met Lock-In Lee. So this is in the book, by the way, Backpacking Centurion, Volume 1, um, Don't Look Back in Bangor. There's a full chapter on Lock-In Lee, and the third volume also has a chapter on it. But here. Speaking it on the podcast for the first time, I'm going to just go through a little bit about what Lock In Lee actually is. So, I was at university, and um, whether you like Big Brother or not, um, do you watch Big Brother, Doc? Do you watch that?
1: I've I've watched uh, most of the seasons of the American version. Yes.
2: So it, I mean, it was big in the UK about 20 years ago or so, something like that. Um, and so it's 2003. I was at university and um, there was an advert, you know, saying "Look, we're doing a university Big Brother. So you, you, can, you can apply to be on it. And as soon as I saw that, I said, I need to be on that. I, I just want, I don't know what it is, but I want to be on it. But it wasn't called Big Brother because Big Brother had some type of copyright in the UK. They wanted to give it a different name. So they called it The Lock-In. Right. So it was called the lock-in. In In other words, you walk into your room, they turn the key, they close the door, you're locked in. So, you know, I told my flatmates at the time, I said, I'm going to apply to be on this, the lock-in. And they're sort of looking at me as if, you know, you know, the same way Daniel, Paul and Neil did. It's as if, yeah, big deal, do it if you want. But we don't think you'll get into that because they they choose people to go in there. So I did all these auditions. It went through like three rounds or something. Um, and I, I did a campaign to vote for me. So if you vote for me, I'll get in. Um, so through, through all of that, long story short, I got in to the lock-in. So I was one of the, uh, there were 10 contestants, but six of us were locked in there, uh, you know, for, it was only for three days, actually. I make it sound like it was like months, but it, was, it I've, I've done longer lock-ins than that. But I mean, this was three days. <laughs> university experiment in England at the time where Facebook didn't exist. So this is 2003, 2004. Facebook didn't exist. Um, There wasn't, uh, you know, smartphones weren't really out. It was that era. Um, And you kind of just talk to people and you you get involved in what's going on around you. So one of the guys in the lock-in that was with me in there was called Lee. So his name is Lee Adams. Okay, it's his it's his real name, Lee Adams. It was quite funny at the time because at the time the British Prime Minister um, was called Tony Blair, and my surname was Blair, um, and his surname was Adams. And there was a a Northern Irish minister that had been you know involved with uh, one of the parties, Sinn Féin. His name was Gerry Adams. So it was like Adams and Blair. You know, we we were joking about that, but we came out from this lock-in we'd been locked in there for three days and they decided who's the winner so the winner is lee adams he's the winner he won the lock-in i was third so i got like the bronze medal there's no medals but I was third <laughs> <laughs> well uh, so we came out of there and my head was a little bit you know i still felt like i needed to ask permission to go to the toilet because I, i'd been locked in um with lee and with with the other guys in there guys and girls so when we came out um, my mates were all in the bar we just started playing pool uh, having a few beers and they were asking me saying look we voted for you but you came third it's pretty good you didn't win but it's good I said yeah don't worry about that and then I'm standing at the bar and Lee's there and he asked me do you want a beer I said yeah man let's have a beer so the winner just asked me if I want a beer and then one of, the, one of my mates came over, and I said, oh, I'm talking to Lee. And he goes, which Lee is that? And I went, it's Lee. And he goes, yeah, but we've got other friends called Lee. I said, well, this is Lee Adams. And he goes, oh, you mean Lock-in Lee. So, like, <laughs> Lee from the lock-in. Lock-in Lee. And I'm like, yeah, it's Lock-in Lee. So, the next day, when I saved his phone number, I'd put it into my phone, Lock-in Lee, because I had two other friends called Lee. So I had to have, you know, you had to know which person you're phoning in those sure. days. yep. It, you, you remember when you had these really terrible, like basic mobile phones, you could only put like seven digits. So it would have to be Lee A or Lee G. You wouldn't be able to put the whole surname in there. So, but I think Lock in Lee Adams was one of the first where you could actually write the whole thing. I, it must have been. So I put Lock in Lee Adams, um, Lock in Lee, and it started from there. Um, I need to try and cut this story short because otherwise it's going to go on too long. But because we were in that lock-in together, we had this kind of crazy connection about things. One day in the lock-in, we were trying to get pizza. We we needed something really good to eat. So we asked them, look, can you get us some pizza? We'll do some dares or some tasks, get us some pizza. So the dare was, uh, we'll give you a football quiz and you have to get the answers right to get the pizza. But they asked a question over the, the public system on the microphone or the speaker and Lockin Lee and I looked at each other and went straight away, the answer is Nicky Barnby. We know that, Nikki Barnby. So we shouted the answers, Barnby, Barnby. And we kept shouting it until they made sure they give us the pizza. Yeah, So we got the pizza because Nikki Barnby was the answer to the quiz question. That was it. And Nikki Barnby is a British footballer whose son, Jack Barnby, likes a bit of chicken and lives in the US and plays for Portland Timbers, I believe. Okay. Soccer <clears throat> so anyway, that, that's a long, long link to that. So Lockinley and I then, we became best friends after that. Uh, it's just this crazy series of events. And then on the Friday after that, I said to, to Lock Lee, I said, look, I'm going to football tomorrow. Do you want to go to the match? So he said, yeah, yeah, get me a ticket and I'll I'll meet you in the bar and we'll go to the match together. So just before he's due to meet me, he sends me a text message, you know, in the old school text message. And this is so crazy was that um, the football team that he supported, that Friday, like five days after we won the pizza, the player that won the pizza has signed the contract to join his team. He just messaged me saying, Nottingham Forest have signed Nicky Barnby. And I'm like, you're joking, this is a wind up. This is, you know, it's too much of a coincidence. You know, think of that. His team has suddenly signed this player. And he goes, No, it's it's true. So he, he meets me in the bar. We checked it on the television or in the newspaper. Yeah, they'd signed this player. And I said, Right, let's go to the bookmakers. Let's put a bet on that player to score the first goal. You know, just, just for fun. But so we put like one pound or two pounds, it wasn't a lot. On Nicky Barnby to score. So, anyway, we're at the football and Nicky Barnby scored. And we looked at each other and went, We've won the bet. So, we got the pizza, he signed for your team and he's won the bet. We're like, This is ridiculous. Something's crazy is going on here. And from that moment on, um, this series of events became even more ridiculous. So, I think the next time I met Lee after that, um, Nicky Barnby had had moved to another club or something and also scored. And every little event that happened uh, related to that um, linked back to the lock-in and lock-in league. And to bring it up to a bit more up-to-date, because the story goes on for 15 years, to be honest. It's a a book in itself. Um, Jack Barnby, which is Nick Barnby's son who plays in Portland Timbers, um, one night he just posted on Twitter that you know, if his team wins, he's going to go to Nando's and get chicken. So I'm—I don't know if you know. Do you know Nando's?
1: I have not heard of Nando's.
2: Yeah, I don't know if they have it in the U.S., but I think because Jack Barnby is British, he maybe missed that chicken. Like that, um, it's like a chicken Portuguese-style chicken. It's 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 decent, um spicy type food, right? So he'd obviously been playing football. He missed that chicken. Uh, so he's posted it on Twitter. So I've sent it to Lockheed Lee. He said, oh, you know, Jack Barnaby's missing the Nando's. So that night we went to Nando's, you know, in in Birmingham, in England, actually. And we had a chicken, took a selfie or a photo of it, tweeted it. And Nick, uh, Nick Barnaby's son <laughs> retweeted it. And it sort of brought, it brought the whole thing full circle. Because we were thinking, I've written the whole story about how his dad won us a bet and a pizza like 15 years ago. And now, you know, we are copying his son for eating the same chicken dish. It, it, it was just ridiculous. And the Lock Lee story continues. And if Lee Adams is listening or Lock Lee or anyone's met him along the journey, hi, Lee, hope you're doing well. And we'll catch up soon. And the story will continue anyway. And
1: oddly enough, my next guest uh, for, the, for the next episode of the podcast is Nick Barnby's son. So the story continues.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, that would be crazy. If you could get Jack Barnby on the um in fact, I think Jack Barnby actually played for Manchester United. So it yeah, good good story there. Um yeah, mad. So 15
1: years of kind of interrelated coincidences all circulated around Lock in, the Lockin and Nick Barnby and uh Lock in Lee and Johnny Blair.
2: Exactly and oh the, the thing that I did forget to mention was when we came out of that lock-in there was a newspaper we were just we were just in the shop buying a newspaper and it just said on the front page Blair meets Adams. It, it just said that and that was Tony Blair meets Jerry Adams as mm-hmm. I mentioned but I'd, I would, I'd met him so it was Lee Adams was Blair meets Adams so we, we actually we kept the copy of that newspaper just because the only way to prove that it happened is to actually keep it, you know, cause you can Photoshop it all you like, but no, we've got that, that paper. It's just Blair makes Adams. Um, crazy.
1: Crazy is right. Wow. Well, Johnny, we're at that time of the episode where we talk about the pro tip inside of the week. Anything jump out at you from our, our uh, conversation today about, you know, what our listeners should take away from this and apply to their own lives, whether it be just their normal lives or their backpacking lives.
2: Yeah, now this has actually come up during the conversation. I wasn't thinking of this um, really before, but now that I think about it, um, a tip, this is just one tip of many, but it just shot out at me, is that when you put your backpack on and you go traveling, have at least one item in there that nobody expects you to have. Now that could be a kangaroo, It it could be a face mask, it could be, you know, a bottle of russian vodka just keep one item in that backpack that nobody expects you to have and when you're hiking up a mountain in the middle of guatemala and you open your backpack with five other people they'll just look at you and go oh my gosh this guy's got a kangaroo in his backpack." you know just take one thing that nobody expects and that opens up a new story and another chapter love it open up a new
1: story I'm also going to throw out there this whole concept of speaking it into existence, uh, taking that moment that that uh, strikes you and um, reinforcing it by publishing it in some way, whether it's verbal, whether it's written, putting it out there into the universe and, and making it happen for yourself.
2: That's cool, And I can actually, I can add in a Noel Gallagher quote to that. You know, Noel Gallagher, the songwriter, guitarist, singer of Oasis is, um, keep on chasing down that rainbow. You never know what you might find. So there's a rainbow there. Follow it. You don't know what's happening next. It's a spontaneous world.
1: Absolutely. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 24 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Johnny and I want to thank him for joining us this week. Johnny, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find your book?
2: Yep, so um, the easiest way to find me is don'tstopliving.net which you've mentioned. It's an easy website to remember. You can also find Don't Stop Living on Facebook, Instagram and I'm on Twitter as just Johnny Blair. Um, so I'm quite easy to find on social media and um, obviously I can put links etc and I'll, I'll share this on social media so people will see it. Uh, the book can be bought from me in person in Poland if you happen to meet me in a cafe or a bar you can you can buy a physical copy from me or uh, from the 12th of September 2020, uh, it will be available worldwide to buy online through you know, the likes of Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookbaby.com, uh, and my own website. So you, you can just buy it uh, on the link. And that will start the story of um, Backpacking Centurion from Don't Stop Living.
1: Fantastic. I want to pre-order all, all three volumes plus the dark volume.
2: The dark one is, is going, it's going to be the deepest one, I think. Um, so yeah, um, so doc, yeah, it's been amazing to be on the show. I didn't even realize it was episode 24. It's quite a nice volume, uh, the night's episode to be on. So, uh, thanks for getting us on the show and I look forward to catching up with the full back catalog of the, the John freaking Muir podcast and, uh, and listening to all of them in, in future and, and, uh, and staying, keeping in touch.
1: Thank you, Johnny. It was a great episode. Really enjoyed having you on. I uh, remember to check out the John Freakin' mirror pod on social media as well. We're on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at John mirror at gmail.com. That is a wrap from the John Freakin' mirror studio. Any final thoughts, Johnny?
2: Don't stop living.
1: Awesome. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite the trail is the trail embrace the suck